Welcome to Behind the Biz, conversations with artists and entertainment. I'm your host, Megan Mason. Please subscribe here on YouTube and don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Behind the Biz, Brian. Hello. Hello. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So just to do a quick introduction, um, this is kind of a special episode, if you will, of Behind the Biz uh, that I wanted to do because I love movies. I love talking about movies. I love trivia about movies. (laughs) And uh, I was lucky enough to have Brian, this is Brian Wiersma, uh, who was my, oh, there's sirens in the background. It's very epic. (laughs) Oh my goodness. the office is near a fire station. It's very exciting. Um, Brian was my roommate in Las Vegas uh, for about five years. And during that time, uh, we would have late night chats when we got home from work. Late. Late. We're talking like 1230, 1 o'clock in the morning when we got off work. And we would talk about everything, politics, movies, TV shows. And we mm-hmm. watched a ton of them together. Um, Brian is a carpenter at Cirque du Soleil's Ka. He has an amazing eclectic taste in life. (laughs) That's one way to put it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I thought he would be really fun to kick off this uh, series of special episodes called uh, We Love Movies, A Fanatical Chat, where literally we talk about the movies we love, how they shaped us and influenced people around us. So welcome. Thank you very much. Again, it's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. uh, you'd be hard pressed to find two people who, upon first sight, are more wildly different than Megan and I. Like, and like that's the crazy thing about like when I met her because I had worked with her for a while, and it was she's just sort of like passing through the hallways and things like that. And then at some point, I was looking for a place to stay, so she had a room, and I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. And like it was, even though we're so wildly different on different paths, like we come together at the same exact like love for stuff and passions for things. And so we just naturally are able to just kind of back and forth real, like, like she said to like five in the morning. Yeah, it was crazy. Some of those mornings talking about stuff or um, watching different shows and binging them. uh, You know, we really, there was a a definite camaraderie when it came to film and television and music um, that, is hard to rival. So I thought this would be really fun to talk with you. Obviously, this is a topic we could go on and on about. <clears throat> so it was very hard to narrow it down to what we would talk about today. I think we did. We're going to try and stay within the parameters <laughs> of kind of the late 70s, the 80s. I was born in 80. Uh, you're a little bit older than me. I was born in 74. 74. Okay. So oh, yeah. I mean, both of us watch movies from all time periods and genres. So, but I feel like talking about the movies that kind of shaped us in the, you know, mid to late seventies through the eighties and even a little tiny bit into the early nineties would be really fun because there are some amazing films. Amazing. Oh, it was so fun working on the list doing that. There, there's a lot on that list. There, There, there's a lot on that list. And when I, when I first started kind of going through, I was like, okay, so what are the movies that shaped me? 
you know, mm -hmm. that, and that, that's like a big question for anyone. And I think anybody can go back in their history and be like, when I was, you know, three, four, whatever it was, you know, mine was Star Wars, obviously. I was like three, barely out of diapers. And uh, yeah, you know, and you go back there and that's where that love affair begins is that first time when you're sitting in that dark cinema and those lights go out and you're just like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, it's an incredible experience and it's, there's nothing like it. Streaming can't come close, anything like that. And, you know, and there is something to be said for the act of going to a movie theater and sitting down with a purpose of, I'm going to watch this thing. I paid money to watch this thing. It's not, I can't switch to something else. And it's a very all encompassing feeling. And I think you share that as well. When you talk about movies, you talk about how just it, it envelops you and a good movie can really, there's an escapism to it. You know, it's, it's very true. There's a very big element of escapism and we all have a lot to escape from, you know, our daily lives, whatnot. But, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it affects everyone in very different ways. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's very easy to be passionate about. Yeah, the impressions that they leave, you know, I talk about magic a lot, uh, the magic of film, the magic of theater, uh, the magic of music and dance. And I think that the magic of going to a movie theater and the smells, it's it's completely yeah. all encompassing in mm -hmm. every sense. And so you have the smells, you have the seats, you know, I like mm -hmm. this movie theater because they have these seats and they have that pickle, which is a thing uh, that is very big here in Texas is the movie pickles. But I digress. We'll talk about that on another podcast. <laughs> um, so going back to when you were younger and Star Wars came out, I mean, obviously I, I watched it because I have a twin brother and his whole bedroom was Star Wars. Um, uh, so I watched it on the periphery, but I was paying more attention than I thought I was because when they came out later and they had digitally enhanced some of the original ones, I was like, mm -hmm. that was not in that movie. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember yeah. that weird droid. Um, but what what is it? Because I've watched you watch trailers from the new Star Wars movies, and tears were involved. Please tell me you have a clip of that. I do. Uh, no, no, not for today, but I do. I'll share it on the Instagram page. Um, what is it about Star Wars that moves you so much? Um. There's a couple of things. Uh, obviously, it was like my, my, like I said, it was my first movie experience. I was 78. So, yeah, I'm like three, four. I'm like really little. And I remember getting dragged to like the, you know, shitty movie theater in Torrance to go see it at, at, at Man, at a Old Town Mall, if anybody from South Bay is listening. Um, and I just, like, it was an experience. And I remember, like, that was before the days you could buy shit on stuff online and things like that. And it was before you could, you know, have access to the internet and things like that. So we had to wait in a line. And I remember going there at age three, we had to wait through, I think, two viewings to get in. Wow. And like, it was, and I mean, I just remember it was just this massive line of just out of control kids and a, like a puppet show. Like it was crazy. But I do remember going in there in that, that first time, cause I'd seen TV before, before that point, you know, and just going in there and then they had, that was back when they still did the curtain thing where they opened the curtain. Oh yeah. And like, we were cramped all the way up in the front and it was like me and my mom, my sister. And just from that opening shot, I just, it was my mom. She was like, I knew your world changed when I saw the look in your face that like, as soon as that shit comes over and it just excited me. It was something I'd never seen before. 
Um, music. The music. We could do a whole other episode on the, the music. Yes, John Williams is one of my all-time faves. Um, but the other thing that I really enjoyed about Star Wars, which for me sets aside science fiction from good science fiction for bad science fiction, is the fact that as you're watching it, it wasn't this clean line, Kubricky sort of space, like really space looking, like everything was a piece of junk. The world had, the world looked like it was running down, like, and like everything had these questions. Every little character droid you saw, you were like, wait a minute, what about that guy? Like, how come he, he's doing, and like, like, I just remember it, it just, it was so just sort of matter of fact laid out. It wasn't in your face or anything like that. But it was very much a very real feeling world. And I remember that feeling of like, I know what that, what it feels like to walk around on that planet where it's, it's going to be hot. Like my kid said when she saw Star Wars, I'll bet it's hot. So. Um, and the dirt. I remember so viscerally the sand. Everything's uh, dirty. Yeah. I remember that as a kid watching it and just being like, they have sand everywhere. Like. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. And I I just have a mental picture of um, Luke walking across the sand. And it's like this little snippet of a scene, but it's mm -hmm. one that's em, uh, emblazoned in my memory. Probably yeah. because he was hot and I don't want, like being hot. <laughs> no, that's 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 very true. Um, yeah. And, and it's just one of those movies that I feel it's it's full of very iconic visual moments, dialogue, things like that. But there's, you can go almost anywhere on the planet and you can, you know, talk Star Wars with most people. Yeah. Um, but it's just, there's just all these very iconic shots that a lot of them they stole from Casablanca and things like that, which I didn't find out till later. But, yeah. you know, and it, it holds true that it's like it was good then, it's good now, it'll be good if you do it right, you know, in, in the future. And, and I think part of what shows is that uh, when you watch that, it's you really feel like the director George Lucas believed in his vision. He didn't care what anybody else has had to say. You know, he had a hell of a time making that movie. Yeah. Nobody wanted to back him. Nobody wanted to, you know, give him funding. And the crew was like, "Who is this guy?" So, yeah, because he hadn't done anything really big up until then. Not really. I mean, no, he did American Graffiti. Was the first one he did, right? But to go, and what I mean by that is to have like you have this one successful thing and to present star Wars as your next project and be like, and I need all of this money. And I need all of this money and we don't know how we're going to do this. And that was the other thing. It was, they were making stuff up on the fly. Yeah. And it was, it, it's so iconic. How, like you said, I mean, there's so many um, scenes in it that, mean something to people like so many guys had like these sexual awakenings with princess leia and being a slave and uh you know yeah. i remember being like oh my gosh han solo so handsome as like a little five-year-old i don't know what that means but i just remember thinking like he's so handsome and gosh i hope he wins and that octopus thing doesn't eat them in the some of it was very terrifying. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Because suspense like that had not really been done, and that's no, that, like like that's the quaint thing, like the kind of like what I consider quaint about the movie is it's totally told from a serial, like a like a 1950s serial point of view. Every 15, 20 minutes, you're in another like, oh my god, are they going to get out of this situation? Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, they made it through, and 
to this day, I can watch the original Star Wars right up until the end. I don't think they're going to blow up the Death Star. That's how good it is. I, for whatever reason, I'm never convinced. Like, no, he's not going to make it this time. Like, like there's another cut that they filmed that I know is on here. You know, somewhere. And it's, and it's it's those moments that you can watch again and again and again that keep coming back to you with that same visceral, like, uh, you know, Spielberg, same thing. You know, he has a lot of those movies. Raiders of the Lost Ark was, you know, a big one like that. You know, it's really interesting um, looking at George Lucas as a writer because, you know, he, him and Spielberg were, you know, lifelong, um, lifelong friends. And him writing the Indiana Jones movies and then Spielberg uh, directing them, that relationship is so crazy. But also the Ewok movies. We have to talk about the Ewoks for a second because they're my about Ewoks, man. Well, I had a Wicket piggy bank. Uh-huh. I was like all about Wicket. I thought he was the cutest. I wanted him as my friend. I wanted him as my pet. Uh-huh. I think the movies did not get enough uh, love. Um, but he wrote that one too. And I was just like, I, I think that the talent that George Lucas has for writing and keeping the story rolling, like with Indiana Jones and all of those movies, just bam, bam, bam. It's just like you said, it's so situational. And um, his relationship with Spielberg was iconic when you look at their body of work together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite Indiana Jones? Uh, Of the three that were made? Of the three. We're going to go with the original three. We're going to go with the original three. Um, I'm going to have to give it to the the first one, Raiders of Lost Ark. Um, just because again, that is another iconic moment in my childhood. And I'll tell you that quick story in a minute here. Um, I think they're all good. Uh, I'm with you on your pick on what your favorite movie is. That's actually my second favorite. Um, I love last crusade for Sean Connery and everything. I thought it was a brilliant movie. Um, definitely I would say the best made one, but the first one is still my favorite. Yeah. I think because I didn't see the first, Raiders of the Lost Ark first, for whatever reason. I don't know why as a kid. I think my dad might disagree, but I don't remember seeing that one first. I remember seeing Temple of Doom. And that is the one I've seen the most. Mm -hmm. And I love Kate Capshaw. Oh, my God. Like. (laughs) Yes. Yes. She she is. Yeah, she is. uh, Of the girls, I think she is my favorite because she is the complete opposite of Indy. And it's like. How the hell is this going to work? And then you see it and it's like, brilliant. brilliant. It does it. And it works because it doesn't. And that's the best part about that. Oh, yeah. It's great. And it's a very um, uh, provocative statement to be like, she's my favorite because people either love her or hate her. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not a, she was fine. Like, people are very upset about her. But I love her. I can quote all of her lines on the elephant, putting perfume on him. And he would be dead if I was involved in um, getting him out of the bug tunnel. Oh, he, oh yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely not. See you later. That, Bye. Yeah. So sad. I'm going to have to write an obituary for Indiana Jones because there is zero ways that those bugs would be on me or in my hair. And and let's, let's take a minute and talk about that scene in particular because... Ooh. I I distinctly remember, and like the Raiders, the Indiana Jones series, always have creepy crawlies. Always. 
you know, in some form or another. And I remember the spiders from the first one and the snakes and everything like that. And when they got to the bugs and we were watching, and I remember I saw it with my dad and we were sitting on the big screen and the, the sound of the bugs around you. And I remember that was probably one of the first times in the movie I felt like I'm not okay with this at all. And I thought I would be. I was like, I'm a boy. I got bugs. It's really cool. And I was like, oh, my God. There's so many of them. And, and they're so big. And those are all real is the crazy I... thing. Like, they made her do that. And There's that, no that I love that Spielberg would, like made that decision. Like, hey, you want to be in the movie? We're going to cover you in bugs. I'm surprised she married him after that. That would be literally a deal breaker for me. I would be like, you made, did you remember how big that centipede looking thing was? That oh, crawled up in her hair. It, Every minor fight, I'd be bringing that shit up. <laughs> you make bugs. I win, hands down. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Absolutely. Absolutely. He would be dead. And then she has to, like, reach through the the thing, and there's, like, the spider webs and stuff, and her hand's going in there. Oh, it makes me want to throw up. <laughs> that That is another scene that I also believe every time I watch it that he's going to die in front of me. I really do. I remember that it crushes his hat. Like, it's... Where you're like, where he's like, we are going to die. And every time I see it, I'm like, you are this time. You may have uh, gotten out the last 900 times I've seen this movie, but this time I know it's going to go differently. They're so good. I remember um, Bixie, your daughter, watching it and we would kind of stop, you know, stop it before they get to the, um, <laughs> to the when they go into the cave. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, we'll save this rest of this for later when you're older. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the melting and oh my god. Okay. So, um, so so yeah, kind of going back to touch on my my Raiders story uh, oh, yes. about seeing Raiders Lost Ark for the first time. So Raiders Lost Ark was my mom, my mother's attempt at like a rainy day of like, there's a movie out. It's got Han Solo from Star Wars in it. It's about a biblical artifact, and he's a professor. So in my head, my mom and she, like one of her Sunday school teacher friends was like, oh yeah, we saw this movie, it was great, isn't that? Like, I think your kid will like it, it's about Han Solo. So she's like, great. So she drags me to this movie under the impression of like, I'm gonna like, this is gonna be an educational experience and this and that. And she's selling it like, like yeah, it's got Han Solo in it. And like, you know, I'm like, okay. And she's completely game. And then again, like the, the story she has of like looking over at that first point where like the, the spikes come out and the, the corpse is on it. Like when he's walking through the cave and it's that first moment. And she goes, I looked over and she goes, and I knew there was no way I was dragging out of that theater. And she goes, I had immediate, like immediate regrets. Like as soon as it started to me, like shit, he's got a gun. He's got a, Oh, this is not good. You know? And, uh, hold on to your pants. Cause his face is going to melt off. Oh, absolutely. And like that, like that was the thing, like, you know, it just, and that's another movie that's just full of these like very visceral iconic moments that you, I, I, you know, I pull up a lot in my head, you know, when I'm, you know, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful movie. And, you know, Harrison Ford at his finest, man. Well, this is why I wanted to kind of talk about Spielberg um, a little bit, because when I was, Hey, when I just in my own memory, think about movies that I grew up with, in the eighties. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like 15 just right off the bat, you know, that oh, yeah. he, oh, yeah. he did uh, either directed or produced. And so when I was actually looking back through them, um, they're amazing. And I have so many memories, 
also, so many of them are inappropriate. I cannot believe that I was allowed to watch. So inappropriate. Like yeah. the 80s, I don't understand why we were allowed to watch some of the things we did because they're wildly inappropriate for children. Yeah, there's a lot of them. You know, it's like, okay, let's talk about, um, you know, let's see, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. My mom yeah. loved this movie. Yeah. We just, we rewatched it. Well, we took Pixie to see it at the movie we, theater. You and I went to go see it in the theaters, yeah. I had when seen they it in the theaters. released yeah. it. Yeah. And it was really amazing to see, like, that movie came out in... When did that come out? Close Encounters. It was like the late seventies, like seventy-seven, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was one of his earlier works. And um, to watch her watch it as like um, I think she was what seven, and mm -hmm. just being absolutely in rapture, you know, with the the tones and stuff. And they said mm -hmm. that you know John Williams and him went back and forth. Uh, that he wanted like seven tones, and Spielberg was like, "No, I need like five tones because that." Seven is too long for some alien ship to say hello. Yeah. And then they had like 150 choices to choose from at some point when they got through all of them. And then that's what they settled on. And to watch the seven-year-old, you know, 30 plus years later, watch it and still just be like, what? And the mashed potato thing is still funny. Oh, yeah. You know, Richard Dreyfus is amazing. Um, but Jaws will never be the same getting in the water. <laughs> no, no. And... and and I love that, that movies have that, are capable of having that impact, you know, and that's a big one because Jaws really like that thing came out and it was, it was literally psycho with sharks was. Yeah. Guess who's not going swimming at night. That person got what they deserved at the beginning of the movie. I'm like, you are crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're going to get in the water and then you add the music, he traumatized like <coughs> everybody for the rest of their lives with that music. Well, that and and again, Spielberg has a very he has a very specific thing he that his movies feel like to me when I watch them, which is I feel like I know what it's like to be there. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, and he's very good about even in like the like the super fantastical ones. He he still takes you as an audience member and he puts you in that seat of like you're Alice in Wonderland, you're going through the looking glass, I'm taking you. There's nothing you can do. And he makes he really makes you feel like you're exploring this world as it goes, and it feels real. And you know, yeah. be it down to like, you know, his Tom Hanks newspaper drama to like Raiders to any of his stuff, it always has that feel of like, yeah, I know what that feels like. Like I know exactly what he's going through and he's just very good at connecting with that human. Yeah. You know, thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think that um, one of the people that, and this is a side kind of a sidebar uh, looking at the movies that he's done, like with Tom Hanks, because he's so relatable, you mm -hmm. know, that you can kind of put yourself That's, in his position yeah. and even like Joe versus the volcano that he produced um, I watched that over and over, but how many people, especially this day and age are Joe and they're in, mm -hmm. um, corporate America and they're bored out of their minds and they need an adventure and all of these things. But did you ever see always? Was I loved always. I cried my eyes out. I haven't rewatched it in probably over a decade because it's so, um, it's so upsetting. 
I think that was, <coughs> excuse me, I think that was one of the first Spielberg movies I saw that was like of a more like serious sort of, you know, of this earth tone. And I, I remember I was like a teenager or something like that. And oh. I remember sitting in the theater just weeping, like just, and I, and I just stopped pretending. I'm like, I'm going to stop pretending I'm not sad. I'm just going to sit here. Like, it was good, man. It was, you know. It was just a brilliant. And, you know, you have Richard Dreyfus who, he has such a mixed bag of a career between drama and comedy. And I feel like this movie was almost the perfect blend. Yes. You know, with him with and, and John Goodman too. Like it was so nice to see him in a film that, you know, he gets emotional. And of course, Holly Hunter's like amazing. Yes. But that's a hard one for me to watch, but I, I love it so much. But again, it's always the protagonist that you feel like you could be them. You could be friends with John Goodman, you know, you could, yeah, you feel like you can go get a you know a beer at the bar with a guy, like you can yeah. sit and chat with him, you know, and and that that goes a long way when it comes to like writing characters, you know. There's a, a good a, a well written character. You really feel like yeah, I would either like get a beer with this guy or like punch him in the throat with a bar stool, like you know, if it's not well written, you don't care either way. It's so true. Yeah. The actors can only save it so much. But yeah, it, it, it is true. Uh, another another Spielberg favorite of mine that I know is also of yours and my daughter is uh, Hook. Oh, yes. Wonderful movie. Me! Um, and I I liked his take on on the pirates and, and Peter Pan. And like, like he gave it enough of a twist and enough of that whimsy. But again you are sitting with Robin Williams going through this ride of the, this is what this would feel like. And what he made it, yeah, he made it really believable to however the hell he did that with all the stuff going on, but it felt real. It did. And I still, to this day, quote that movie, um, you know, whenever the, the little, the little heavier set black kid, whenever he, or no, it's the little, it's the little black kid when yeah. he's smoking his face and he says, oh, there you are, Peter. And I say it all the time when I like mm -hmm. realize something. And I think that's also telling of your age when people don't know what you're quoting. It's very true. It's very true. <laughs> like, first of all, you need to see this movie because yeah. it's amazing. Um, but it's also a little bit dark hook at yes. times. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like that he kept that tie between the fantastical Peter Pan world and the real world that he's from, quote unquote. Um, but like that line you said, the like where he squished his face, he goes, "There you are." Peter. I still like just thinking about. It, I still kind of chokes me up a little bit because it's like, you know, and it's it's he yeah, it, this kid he sees it, you know, and and it's yeah, it's really beautifully done, man. Oh. Hook is so great. Um, later on in the in the early '90s, you know, Schindler's List was a huge game changer for me. Oh, um, Schindler's List, yeah. Because it came out in '93, and so I was 13, 12 or thirteen uh, at that time, and uh, that was kind of when I started to really get interested in World War II. Mm -hmm. um, that then has since become an obsession, and watching Schindler's List. A, I remember being like, oh my God, who is 
the who is the bad guy? Ray Fines. Like he's so beautiful. So that began a lifelong love of him. Um, <laughs> but that movie was so unbelievable. And the soundtrack, which the violinist is Itzhak Perlman, it still breaks my heart to this day. And it's such a personal project for, for Spielberg that um, I, do you watch ice skating? Do we ever talk about ice skating? Uh, a little bit here and there. I think we've talked about it, but yeah. So that year, Katarina Witt, who is a German ice skater champion, she chose to do a piece to the music and she wore the red dress, the only piece That's of color. Right. And I went back and rewatched that piece. Mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mess. Falling apart. Yeah, no, it's it's true, man. Yeah, that that's yeah that 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 movie in itself. It's I mean, it's I think above everything else, that's the one he's going to go down for as like brilliant filmmaking, no, like, like across the board. You know, it's it's not flashy, it's dirty, it you know, and the whole movie you you feel really downtrodden, and that's on purpose. Yeah, you know, you really really feel it, and like I mean, you know, I grew up with the European background of my family growing up during the war. So I've heard stories like this before. And it was just the way that he captured it was like, was like, oh my God, like this is, you know, this and is- in black and white. Which at first going in, I was like, this is going to be weird. But then after like five minutes, you just, it, your brain immediately fills in color or whatever it does. And then until you get to that body on the conveyor belt in the dress and it just, I remember that moment. Like that was another moment that I'm like, I'm just going to start openly weeping here, everybody. So I know. Yeah, it's, no. it's so, that's what I mean. Like Spielberg, um, there's so many directors that I love and a lot of them are lesser known uh, or they're kind of medium known. Maybe they're more art house type directors or they do more whimsical things, but he's such a staple. I feel like, and growing up, you know, in with you like the the 70s and then in the 80s the list is just so insane the goonies and empire of the sun and et mm -hmm. yeah and it's all over the map which i love yeah i mean but, e that plastic bubble scene was yeah. so terrifying and i think it was so amazing that he shot it from the kid's point of view of how terrifying all of this would be yeah and yeah. that's yeah, no, it's uh, he's he's very he's not afraid to tackle new topics, which I really appreciate. Um, and I know we're going to talk about this later, but he is the director of one of my favorite all time cinematic experiences in my ever loving life. Which one? Uh, Jurassic Park. Oh yes, I think we could definitely talk about Jurassic Park. When did <laughs> so, you see it the first? Like, what were you on a date? Did you what? What was happening? Uh, kind of quick and dirty of it is I was in high school, me and my friend Will, uh, one of my BFFs at the time, we were hanging out. We knew of the movie. Uh, we had heard about it. We knew there was a book. But again, it was before the days of internet. So we saw, I think we saw like like a couple days in the opening weekend knowing nothing. Um, we were kind of obsessed with it because we're both monster movie, yeah. you know, movie monster fans. So, and up until that point, the last movie we had that we can compare it to anything close was the movie Baby, which was stop motion, but it was, that was the oh. last dinosaur oh God, movie. With the brontosaurus? With the brontosaurus. Do you remember? <gasps> Nobody yeah. ever knows that movie. No. And so, and that was kind of the last, like, 
like that's how they do dinosaurs. And I like we knew going in it was going to be they're like he has a thing he's doing with this one. Just it's really cool. And, uh, you know, like we had seen pictures of the T-Rex and we had a poster out the whole nine yards. And so we went in there. Compared to baby, it's like. Well, because we had nothing, we hadn't seen it until then. And I remember like going in with them and we were kind of like, ha this is going to be like cheesy with the dinosaurs. And like we went in and just that opening shot with the universal logo and all you hear are the insects and crickets and birds and everything chirping. At that point, I immediately knew like, I may not enjoy this movie <laughs> because I'm already kind of terrified because they hadn't done that either before it always been the music. And it was just this thundering quiet of like this and like you're like oh my god and again he's taking you and just shoving you into the middle of this hey we're gonna unload a velociraptor what the hell is that you're about to find out right what is a velociraptor and then it's you know do they feed him a cow in the beginning is that what they <laughs> yes put in there? yes they, yeah they, they hoist in cattle which which i love that scene because it really it was a really good example of foreshadowing of like that shit's gonna happen later <laughs> And it like, might be you. It might be you. It might be the cow. It might be you. And that uh, movie has really stood up. We, I mean, it's been on a lot since we've been home with COVID. And so I rewatched it now, just this year, probably five times. Mm -hmm. And it still stands up. Yes. And you don't get, like, you don't even get to see an actual dinosaur until, like, what, like 20, 30 minutes in, something like that. And it's, yeah. but in the meantime, you're following these people and you're completely, like you're so wrapped up in their story of like, oh, it's the kid come to visit his dad. And you just kind of forget like, oh, there happen to be dinosaurs in this movie, but dinosaurs is the reason I'm seeing this movie. And then when they finally get to that T-Rex scene and it's been like 45 minutes of build and you see that thing for the first time. Like wow. I remember my, my stomach literally dropping in my gut and thinking like he has an actual T-Rex that he put on set somehow. I couldn't figure it out. And just that terror like that primal primal fear that you that that you're like yeah i know dinosaurs used to run around with cavemen but like you never put the two and two together like he did at that point where it's like yeah this is what it would actually be like if a dinosaur was real and like i remember leaving that movie in like stunned silence like my friend and i sat there in the car for like 20 minutes just kaboom just checked out and the roaring oh the my god roaring is really what got me because that little girl's terror in the car is legit. I, I would probably just have a heart attack, honestly, mm -hmm. but um, that roar is so earth shattering. Yeah. We just never seen anything like Jurassic park mm -mm. and it's nope. not so dated. Um, you know, even looking at their technology boards and stuff and like the computers themselves. Okay, fine. They're like boxes, but uh, the costumes are not overly done. So mm -hmm. it just kind of like lands you in this everybody's in comfortable safari where like there's not everybody's sweaty and hot. Yes, again. You feel that. Again, you feel that in that movie. Sweaty, hot, mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when you see like the dinosaurs on the plains when they go out into the field and you are right there with them of just what am I watching? It's, it's awe and wonder. It's it is truly the word awesome. Yeah, no, it, it, it really is. And it's, yeah, you, you, again, you feel what those people feel, man. And you know exactly how it is. And it's like, that's hard to do. 
And again, John Williams, you know, such a beautiful score. It just makes you cry. Like when you listen to it, I have, I have it of course. And uh, sometimes, you know, you'll put it on and it will get you, you know, mm. it's just so, oh, so yeah. offending. And oh, then, yeah. you know, the other ones were fine too, but that first Jurassic Park is the best. I, I still want that park to open. I'm still waiting for that. Would you still go? Absolutely, I would. Absolutely. Because by now they had to have fixed all the problems. But surely. Surely they did. Um, I want to move over. So the the background that we have on here is the two Phoenix ladies, I guess we would call them, uh, from the Neverending Story. Was this? This came out in '84. Mm -hmm. um, this particular scene was terrifying. Yes. Don't they have the lasers come out of their boobs, right? Uh, it was something weird like that. It's been a little bit since I've seen it, but I remember it was something like, it, is it? Is this a kid's movie we're watching? Right. Again, another movie that I don't really think I probably should have seen as young as I did, but two interesting things that came out of this movie. One, totally traumatized from the horse in the Swamp of Sadness. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like he cannot save him because he's so sad that the horse dies. The, the horse is so depressed in the swamp of sadness that he dies, like traumatized. How did that make it into the original? I, I don't know how somebody was like, we can't do this to kids. And they did. And he's going, attack! and you're screaming and crying. Like, I can't imagine being a parent watching this with my kid. Like, well, you you have had that experience. I'm sure you remember that watching that with my daughter. That was also a Spielberg film. Did you know that Land Before Time? Land Before Time. Yes, that's true. That is a so. Spielberg film. <laughs> so real quick, before I explain the trauma of that movie, um, the other thing that happened in the Neverending Story was kind of my first real crush, which was on a Treyu, and yeah. He was so handsome, you know, and I just remember loving him. And then the princess at the end, I emulated her endlessly. I would go in my parent, my mom's jewelry box and steal necklaces and like put them on my head. So I would wear like a little crown and I'd be like, Bastion, say my name. Like over and over again. I used to do the same thing. Yeah, I know you did. Stole your mom. I know her pearls. Um, but yeah, I was babysitting. Or no, I wasn't. You were outside. You were outside and I was inside watching Land Before Time, which I found very upsetting as a little kid, but it's so good. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, well, let Bix watch this, your daughter. And <clears throat> so we're watching it and we're going along. And she'd seen like The Lion King and all of these other films um, where people die. Like usually it's mom, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But The Lion King, the dad. Oh, no. Usually it's the dad. And the one she had seen, because she'd seen The Lion King and Mufasa dies. And, uh-oh. And so when, when the mom dies in Land Before Time, she was so upset. And I said, you know, it's okay. Just wait, you know, and she's going to come back. And she comes back as a ghost. And she, you know, saves them from the Tyrannosaurus Rex. And she was like, is she coming back for real? And I was like, well, no, she's a ghost dinosaur now, so she's helping them along, like Mufasa does. Mm -hmm. Remember him? Okay, okay. Like, she wasn't real sure about what I was telling her. 
she thought I was lying. And then at the end, they get to the Green Valley and everybody shows up and they're like, oh, hey, mom. Hey, dad. Hey, mom. And then Littlefoot, it's just his grandparents. Mm-hmm. And there's no mom. She lost her mind. I remember that. Oh, she was like inconsolable. And she was like, Maggie, I thought you were lying. Where's his mom? And I was like, Brian, I think we have an issue. But look how visceral that movie was for mm-hmm. her. She wanted to destroy all the DVDs in the whole world. She did. She did. So no other kids would be sad. And and I, I very distinctly remember that conversation because at some point after that, she she had the case or the DVD, but she came up and she brought it to us and it was like, we need to throw this in the trash so nobody can ever watch it again. And then we were like, well, uh, hang on, there's there, there's more of these out there. And the look on her face of like, whoa, 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 whoa. More of these? What are you talking about? Like, and then like, she was legit mad kind of at us for like, like, why didn't you tell me this? You know? Yeah, I mean, the power of movies is very real and i mean that movie came out in the the late 80s or something and again still had so much power and effect over over a little girl it was so good um i did not realize until recently that the director of never ending story is from the netherlands and he did das boot and um outbreak Air Force mm-hmm. One, Troy with Brad Pitt. Like yeah. no idea that he went yeah. on to do those things. Yeah, no, he's uh yeah, he's he's done a bunch of work. Um Wolfgang Peterson. Uh yes, Wolf, yeah, he did he did do Das Boots, actually. That's that's right, he did. Um one of my other uh speaking of kind of tailing on Dutch directors, uh one of my favorite Dutch directors of all time is Paul Verhoeven. Oh um, yeah. Robocop of Total Recall, yeah. Showgirls. Showgirl, like how random is that he has this extremely violent film career, right? And then Showgirls. Showgirls. I saw Showgirls in the theater. By the way, I was one of the three people who went to go see it. So that's how much, that's how committed I am. Um, No, Paul. Did you cover your vision of moving to Vegas? Like, did you? Uh, No, it never, it never. No, those two things never crossed for whatever reason because I was just like, oh, he's just making up a story. But like when I got here, it was like, oh, this is actually like kind of how it runs a little bit, kind of like. I always like, look for her apartment because it was so seedy. And I always would drive um, over by the MGM on that little back street. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's that apartment. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. But it was so downtrodden that I was like, that's got to be it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and his well, uh, one of his earlier movies, Robocop, is one of my favorite, like all time sci fi movies, and that was the first time in a movie theater that I felt very uh, uncomfortable around the villain. Like really, like that villain in that movie, like was so well written. It's Kurtwood Smith from that '70s show, the dad from that '70s show, and but I remember watching that movie, and it was just first of all a gore fest. So just violent. So Again, violent. why did I see that as a kid? So inappropriate. <laughs> you know, and I think, like, I snuck in with my friend Chris Loebrunner. We went to the, like, snuck in and saw. But I remember, like, watching it, like, like, oh, my God, this is so over the top. Blood, gore, soaked. 
But at the same time, again, I'm engaged in the people within the movie, and I'm like, okay, like I kind of want to find out what happened to this cop they blew to, you know, smithereens, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, no. And the other thing about that that I appreciate about RoboCop is the tech in that movie holds up pretty well today, in accordance to most movies. We still have like the cell phones, the trackers, and the data pads and everything. So I was like, yeah. Well, Total Recall, too. We just recently rewatched Total Recall, the original one with um, mm -hmm. Schwarzenegger uh, and a young Sharon Stone, which that one came out, was it the late 80s or like 90 or something like that? That was, yeah, that was like late. I was like 189, 90, something like that. Yeah. And and it's still, I mean, pretty much holds up, except when they got, go outside of the ship, you know, and they start to melt, that you can tell those effects are still pretty good, but um, those are the only things that it's a little bit aged, but you still are engrossed in the story and everything. It's all the mm -hmm. double crossing. And um, I really, I liked total recall a lot. I haven't seen the new one. Uh, it, was, it was good. It was good. It, it's definitely not, I definitely still like the first one better, but it was, it was good for what it was. Did you ever see legend Ridley Scott's? Yes. Both versions, Tangerine Dream and yeah. the other version. Yeah. That is definitely one that I grew up watching a lot. Um, I love unicorns. I get this obsession, obviously behind me. I get this obsession legitimately for my mom. And, <laughs> and so we grew up watching Legends a lot. And it when I go back and look at it visually, I can see where it left such a huge impression on mm -hmm. me because there's so much dew and sparkles and etherealness and the goblins and um, when she becomes the dark princess and then you have the fairy who is not a nice fairy. She's like a sprite and stuff. And then, of course there's Tom Cruise, but to me, he wasn't even the biggest part of that movie. He was. No, he's such an afterthought in that movie, even though he's yeah. the main, like, protagonist you're just like yeah yeah it's tim curry you know that is the oh, it, yeah and let's let's talk about tim curry's role in that movie for a moment um i feel he is his portrayal of demon devil you know the darkness i think is his name um again it's one of those iconic moments that you see other movies from then on try and recreate that like you know, that first time you see him, you're like, oh, oh my, oh my God. You know, I mean, it's, it's huge. It's massive. It's imposing, you know, and beautiful creature design too, as, you know, as makeup artists, you know, we can definitely appreciate all the hard work that goes into something like that. And it just, it holds up to this day very, very much. Oh, it's so good. And, and the unicorns. They have real horns. They're real unicorns. Yes. <laughs> yes, they actually got real unicorns is what I heard. I know. They got real unicorns. And then I think it's Blix is his name, the goblin. Yes. And those creature designs were unbelievable. It was just, there's so much when I go back and watch that film that sticks with me to this day and how I design things or think about things. Mm -hmm. um, the do, you remember, do you remember Meg Knucklebones of the Witch? Yeah. Oh, God. Terrifying. Yeah. To this day. To this day, terrifying. Yeah, no. I don't like her. I didn't like that scene. <laughs> um, I had seen Legend with the 
with the second score first, the non-Tangerine Dream one, I think is what it was. And then I went back and I watched the original variant of it, uh, what it was. Um, for my money, I like the Tangerine Dream score better. It's... it's uh, I like... The one that I've seen the most is like the theatrical release. I think that's I think that's the one I'm thinking of. I think that's the Tangerine Dream one. I, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and not that I didn't like the score, the score was fine, but I just thought that the Tangerine Dream score added kind of an element of weirdness to it that sort of like helped pull you through this otherwise impossible land. It's like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna follow the music. You know? Yeah, no, it was fantastic. And I think the 80s had some really great um, stories like that where they had these really gross and they weren't afraid to have really scary witches and goblins and things. Because even in Neverending Story, they had the little house with the old people that he goes to and they were creepy. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, Willow has some. You have Legend. Um, there's just so many that... It was a it was a thing that the studios were producing then that left a mark. I mean, oh, absolutely, absolutely, and it, it you know it's the eighties at least the late eighties were full of the the really good fantastic you know fantasy movies. Willow is another one that I love to watch. Oh, Willow is great. Willow is great. It's you know, um, yeah, Val Kilmer, amazing. Oh yeah, I even wrote down. Um, you know, because we've been talking about kind of more serious films, and I wrote down a couple of uh, comedies that uh, were great in the 80s as well that we watched repeatedly. Uh, one being Top Gun. And Mr. Top Gun, Gun. Yep. I mean, what do you say about Top Gun? It's just... <laughs> I think Top Gun was my kind of like sexual awakening. <laughs> with Kelly McGillis back then when she's making out with like Tom Cruise. And I remember that was the first time in a movie that, I, that I'm like, I'm like, I should not be in public right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I remember that because however, but yeah, it's yeah. Great, well, I mean, great movie all the way across. Berlin singing, take my breath away. And then that scene and they're all mad and fighting and watching it as a kid. Yeah. I just, I remember specifically thinking like, it's really kind of weird. Like he sticks his tongue in her face. <laughs> Changed my world. Changed my world. <laughs> I do. I remember thinking that. And then later I was like, oh, that's hot. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. And then and then later I was very disappointed to learn out that making out doesn't always go like that. <laughs> no, and it's definitely not as hot as it would have mm. been with Top Gun Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um, even though I really liked Goose, I was a... Um, Funny story about Top Gun. So there still are people in the world that have not seen Top Gun. Mm -hmm. And our friend Jenny Lee uh, was one of them. And so we're like, oh, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. And so she came back into the, the shop at Ka. She was like, nobody mad. And she said, nobody told me about Goose. How could you not tell me about Goose? And I was like, nobody can tell you about goose like you just you have to have find to out on your own it and then go through all of those emotions like mm -hmm. the rest of us like the rest of us like normal people like cry normal. your eyes out yeah but you have also movies like big which mm -hmm. didn't bix just see uh, pretty recently yeah yeah you know it's so great and karate kid and 
Karate Kid's another yeah, the Karate Kid's another one that I was really surprised by. Like I and I remember leaving the theater. I was like 13, 12, something like that. I remember leaving the theater like I can kick anyone's ass. All you like, have to do is a crane kick. All I got do that. That's all I gotta do. So we just rewatched Karate Kid just this last week. It was on TV. Yeah. And the end scene, and maybe you need to go back and rewatch this so you can or, or somebody that knows karate. Um, but I feel like you know, he did the crane kick, and then everybody lost their minds and like ran onto the mat. And I'm looking at it from a sporting standpoint where I'm like, the referee didn't call anything. Like, no, I know. Why is everybody? <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're not allowed to be doing this, guys. Pretty sure we're not allowed to be here. Are you supposed to be on the mat yet? Did the referee say anything? And just stepping over the guy, he just took the hell out. Yeah, just hit his nose. And Mr. Miyagi's great. Oh, oh, so I, good. I, I still think to this day, if I met the guy who played Johnny, I, I would not be able to not punch him in the face because I hated him so much when I saw that movie. I know, right? And he was so handsome, but you hated him because he was a jerk. And like that, like that's the thing that you and I have discussed where it's people who have played roles in movies or television that have played villains that are so despicable that you're like, I can never meet you in real life because I'm going to hate you. Uh, um, Rob Roy, the villain in Rob Roy. Villain in Rob, Tim Roth. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Tim Roth. And then um, what's his name in um, Pretty Woman? Oh, Pretty George. Uh, George Alexander from, or uh, Jason Alexander from Seinfeld. Hate him. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you're that. not funny. You tried to hurt Julia Roberts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I still don't think I could see the kid from uh, Game of Thrones who played Joffrey without just slamming him to the ground. Probably get my ass beat by security, but like, like, and not, I'm not like, going to do it, but I'm just like, like that says something like that yeah. says you did your job as an actor for me to just hate you that much, you know, yeah. and it's, you know, villains, they're a lot of fun. Uh, the well-written ones are the ones you carry with you for your lifetime where it's like, oh man, I, you just go over the thing that, you know, the guy from, uh, what's it, Alan Rickman from Die Hard, Alan Rickman is Snake. Same thing, you carry that, like, I can't meet you and not have that association. But then he's also the villain in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is one of my favorite all-time films. And I, he's like the most lovable villain. Mm -hmm. In that one, he's so amazing, and they gave him so many wonderful lines. And you know, I'm gonna cut your heart out with a spoon, and no more Christmas. And oh, I what I would not give to have Alan Rickman's talents back. And yeah, 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 he was. Do. Yeah, he, he was. He, it was a rough one to lose with him because again, he's done a bunch of stuff. Uh, I can't even like think off the top of my head, but like. Uh, Galaxy Quest, one of my one of the funniest wow. things I've seen, like in the sci-fi realm for a long time, where he's the alien with the headpiece falling off. Just and like I love that when you have actors that are like, I can play this really epically like role in one direction or the other, and then I'm gonna turn around, I'm gonna do something completely goofy, and you're gonna love it. Yeah, like, not all actors can make that switch.
Yeah, he's yeah. amazing. And, you know, he's in Love Actually, which is one of the best movies ever. And he has that whole scene with Mr. Bean that he plays the straight guy in that scene because Mr. Bean is so ridiculous trying to wrap the present and do the stuff. And, and mm -hmm. Alan Rickman's timing is so impeccable with him. <laughs> but, and he just did a movie, um, this fast forwards a little bit, but if people haven't seen it, one of his last films in 2016 was called A Little Chaos that he directed. And I'm obsessed with it. I've seen it about seven times already. <laughs> watch it. Oh, it's just gorgeous. And he plays um, King Louis and it's about the building of Versailles. He's the king. And then it's Kate Winslet and Matthias Schoonarts and Stanley Tucci's in it. Like the cast is unbelievable, but mm -hmm. um, just on the note of Alan Rickman for people to, to have a little tiny bit of his last work, you know, um, what did you, do you have any recollection of seeing Dirty Dancing? Uh, no, I don't think, I don't remember seeing it in the theater. I have seen it. Um, it was good. Like, it was like amazingly yeah. good. Like when I saw it, I was like, okay, I can see why this, you know, stood the test of time like it did. Oh, Another yeah. movie yeah. with iconic lines, iconic imagery. Nobody yeah. puts baby in a corner. I had a Johnny Castle poster. Um, I had a Patrick Swayze, Johnny Castle poster in my room. Nice. I think I had a Point Break poster in my room. <gasps> Another okay. great. We were just talking about Point Break the other day because League of Their Own was on and Lori Petty is in League of Their Own as Kit. And she was so badass and amazing in Point Break as the girlfriend that went between Keanu Reeves and um, Patrick Swayze. How fantastic is that movie? It, uh, it's I love it. It's it's visceral. It's dirty. Uh, it's aggressive, and it doesn't it doesn't make any it, it doesn't try and make itself pretty, which I like. You know, it's it doesn't try and glamorize things to the point where they're acceptable for the movie. Um, yeah, no, that's a great movie. And being a surfer, of course, that whole aspect of it, just watch, watching those scenes on the big screen, you're just like, oh, man. Like, again, you feel like that guy's going to die. <laughs> and they're going to film it. And I have to watch it. They're going to film it. Um, you were a little bit older than me when Heathers came out. Um did Heather's leave an impression on you? I know Christian Slater was, it was such a dark film. And Heather's is incredibly dark. Right. It's so dark. And so I was like eight when it came out and I don't think I saw it right when it came out. I think I was more like 10 or so again, still too young. To see yeah. It. Oh yeah. But it came out in 88 and I just wonder, you know, as a, a older kid, watching it if you remember being like oh my god um i remember because i saw it late i think actually renee reintroduced me to it um we sat and watched it uh a while back and i remember even now like watching it and i'm like you could never make this movie today no like you absolutely not like especially not in you know this this climate and everything like that and it's it's interesting because i find myself like when i was watching it I literally had to rewire my brain to put myself in the back then when it wasn't, you know, school shootings and, and kids and the suicides and all this other stuff, you know? And uh, yeah, it's, it's an amazingly dark movie. Amazingly dark. 
That's an interesting um, train of thought, though, because I think that there's a lot of movies that were made in the 80s, specifically 16 Candles, um, Pretty in Pink. There's quite a few of them that while they focus on like the marginalized kids, they're, they're still porkies. You know, there's still language and stuff in there that would not be acceptable today. Oh, God, no, no. You know, but those movies are so iconic for what they do and how they portray the kids in high school and the cars and mm-hmm. nerds. Remember the movie Nerds? Like you nerds. Can never, you can never do that movie now. Never. Right. So much sexual harassment. Like, that's <laughs> like. And, and that's always interesting to me is going through and rewatching movies you remember with through the lens of where we are today. And like part of me, like going into these movies, part of me wants to be like, oh, no, people just being like hypersensitive and stuff like that. And then I watch them. I'm like, nah, nah this is this shouldn't have made it back then. <laughs> like and it just the 80s were kind of like this lawlessness of like Wild West as far as like how violent, how much nudity can we put in there, you know? And uh, we don't really do that anymore, you know? I mean, we do, but not to the scale that we do. They're not major film releases, things like that, you know? Um, But a lot of these movies are like that. I wonder too, you know, back during World War II, they had the War Production Board in, in Hollywood. And so that is what went through mainly to make sure that everything shown America in a, in a positive light. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the censorship that was in place then. And so I feel like after World War II, and, and I'll have to do some more research on this, but um, that started to loosen up. And because they had so many restrictions for so long, I feel like when those new filmmakers came along, those restrictions weren't there as much. And so they felt like they could kind of continue to push that envelope mm-hmm. yep. until the nineties and in the late eighties. And you had, you know, Reaganism and all that kind of stuff. And they tried to start reining it in again, but yeah, there was this period in the eighties, the seventies and eighties that man, Man, you could get away with a lot, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. I I wonder if my hunch is correct on that, and if anybody's watching and has insight, you know, let me know. Yeah, no, it's uh, and and the the director who kind of for me at least shifted because I remember seeing that trend where it's like, okay, like we're kind of in like the nineties now. We're sort of cleaning up our acts, trying to be a little more responsible with our portrayal of stuff, and you know, all these kind of studios directors coming on board and sort of cleaning up the rack and then came quentin tarantino yeah um and i realize he's a little later on down the line he's more 90s but i i still remember like watching reservoir dogs for the first time and again going into it like i can deal with blood and gore and violence i've seen all these movies and I remember watching that movie and like we had like it wasn't even the credits. Yet. It was just the diner scene where they're just sitting around chit chatting. And I remember feeling a like I was in a situation I was had no business being. Um, I didn't want to know more about these people because I'm like the things they tell me and the undertones in which they're saying it are terrifying. I don't want to know what those undertones means. And like I remember several times during the movie thinking like. I'm going to be okay with getting up and walking out because I'm really uncomfortable. I'm really uncomfortable. And like, like it stayed with me for a number of weeks and just again, Tim Roth, 
another, you know, another great role for him. And we got a bunch of really good actors out of it. We got Buscemi, you know, Madsen. Uh, you know, Madsen. You know, but it was just interesting because, yes, you had this period of like sort of, uh, uh, you know, cleaning up your act. And then like along comes like Tarantino is like, no, like I'm going to do this. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to put you in situations that you do not want to be in. Yeah. You know? And it and that was kind of a shift from there. And then like from there, kind of a bunch of you know directors try to imitate that, you know, some with degrees of success but you know it yeah, would i think it would be really interesting for us to delve into on the next um the next segment into kind of tarantino the mid to late 90s you have two romance you have california you have oh uh, i love california right true romance another great brad pitt movie true romance yeah yeah, he's yeah. great in that one. Gary Oldman is Drexel. Like it's um, true romance is phenomenal. True romance is phenomenal. Uh, but I think that that would be a really fun trip to go down and kind of examine and compare and look at those films and see what was happening in the '90s that kind of went along with the you know the change in the music and the mm -hmm. grunge. That yeah. that whole we kind of came out of shiny bubbly. Yeah, eighties uh, and early nineties, and just went real dark. Um, but the nineties brought some amazing films. But before we go, uh, the very end of the eighties also brought us Tim Burton, because I did not realize that Beetlejuice came out in eighty eight, mm. and Batman came out in eighty nine, and Pee Wee's Big Adventure came out in nineteen eighty six. Right. Like he he kind of comes in here in the late '80s and is such a game changer. Oh, absolutely, man! Aesthetically, and his team behind him. Um, I remember seeing Batman uh, in the movie theater. I I just remember loving Jack Nicholson so much. Like Michael Keaton was fine. Like I was like, oh yeah, you're a great Batman. But I am all about the Joker and this. I thought he was so phenomenal. And um, I nailed it. Here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Tim Burton's another one we can do a whole a whole entire show on. Yeah. Um, and I I do remember hearing he was going to be directing the Batman movie, which I was just kind of getting the comics then, and it was right out of. Beetlejuice, and then they're like, "Oh, and Michael Keaton's going to be Batman." And I remember thinking, even back then, like I was like, "Wait, what?" Like, you know, you're kind of like, I don't, "I don't know how this is going to work." And then again, pre-internet, there was no online, you know, fandom, any of this stuff. So you just went in blind and saw what the trailer had to show you, and then you know that was the only info you had. And then going in and seeing that, and you're just like, "Like, it was great. It was so perfect. It was so perfect." And I love, like, I love the Joker as a character, but I like that Jack Nicholson was the first one to really take it from, like, the wacky party clown to, like, the uncle who has a gun and is a little bit off. There's something wrong There's with something him. wrong with him, you know? Yeah. Where you, you know, I remember there was the scene um, and he's sitting in his apartment or something and he's cutting up, cutting out all the pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all the like pictures. a normal person, yeah. Yeah, like you do. He's just scrapbooking. He's early scrapbooking. Um, <laughs> but I remember that scene being so uncomfortable. 
because she came in from shopping and she's like, oh, da, da, da. her voice is all like, oh, what are you doing? And I just remember being like, you should go. You should be here. I <laughs> shouldn't be here as an audience member. You definitely are in the movie and should not be here. Yeah. I, like he's he's having a, a moment. Like this is not okay. And as a, a kid, um, not really realizing what all of that meant. It is those first alarm bells that you're kind of like, you need to go. Something's very wrong here. Um, but the aesthetic of Batman was so fun. And I remember lots of like purple and checkers and lime green and. Oh, and it was just massive. The world felt massive. Yeah. Like it felt massive, but at the same time, it felt like oppressive, you know, where it just, all this, you know, all the buildings are covered in grime and dark, dark and just sort of looming over you. Um, yeah, it like the direction they went with it, like it, it really, like it was brilliant. It was really, you know, it was really brilliant. It's one of my favorite, you know, superhero movies and an early one, very early, 87. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was very young. Um, there's just so many movies that. And I'm, I'm looking at my list in front of me and I'm pretty much still own the DVD. I am not even kidding. Probably like 90% of these. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love DVDs and people make fun of me for keeping them. But you know what? Now that I live kind of um, out in the sticks where the signal, the Wi-Fi signal is not mm -hmm. as good. Yeah. I have watched my DVD movies more in this past year than I have in the last decade because we have no internet. Yeah. Here and there. It's just kind of spotty. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll keep my DVDs and I keep them in their jewel cases because I like all the artwork. Oh, the artwork's great. And especially in like the glory days of DVDs where you would open it up and then open it up. Here, I'm going to show you my Aliens <laughs> DVD real quick. I have it right here. Oh, yeah. Um, I definitely buy like director's cuts ones. I have one of Legend or it has like a metal case or. So this is the Alien <gasps> DVD I have. Ridley Scott, another great filmmaker. Oh, yeah. Look at this thing. Look at this. It's like 900 pages of... Look at this thing. It doesn't even fit on the screen. Like, this is how DVDs used to be made, kids. Like, they would, like, put all this effort... Like, and it's beautiful. And that will make me buy a movie, a DVD. Yeah. And you keep know? it. Like, yeah, I'm not going to take that out and put it into a CD case. Yeah. Yeah, no. Right, yeah. right out of that, I have another one that we haven't touched on. Ba -ba -da -ba, ba -da -ba -da. Oh, yeah. I have Back to the Future written down, you know, again, produced by amazing Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and Zemeckis, who is another oh. another one who I love all of his work. I know. Back to the Future, um, can we just talk about that we already lived through when we should be having hoverboards and we don't? It's like science isn't even trying anymore. Like, come, come on, on, get on this. God, and I really wanted that holographic jacket and like the crazy sunglasses. What happened? Um, as far as movie trilogy goes, that is my favorite, and I think the strongest movie trilogy like I've ever seen. Like it's just consistent start to finish. They're fun. They're entertaining. They're kind of lighthearted. You know, they go to some dark places here and there, but. You know, you leave that theater or that viewing just thinking like, yeah. I just was in that world. You know, you really feel it. And you have a great soundtrack. I mean, you're moving. An amazing soundtrack. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Uh, and how can you not 
how can you not love him? I mean, um, he's adorable. He's totes adorbs in that he's movie. He's just like little bitty and you want to put him in your pocket and uh-huh. he's in love with Elizabeth's shoe and yeah. Yeah. And Christopher Lloyd, another, uh, another great iconic 80s actor and another actor who has also portrayed one of the most frightening villains ever on the screen yep. in Roger Rabbit. Who framed Roger Rabbit and his eyeballs come out of his head. Not okay. Not okay. Not okay. <laughs> Not okay. Like even now I'm like, like, what were we thinking? Like, yeah, that movie was great. And I mean, how many people want to be, ro- um, oh God, Jessica Rabbit just- for Halloween and stuff. And oh, yeah. That movie was crazy when it came out because it mixed, it really truly mixed animation with real life in a way consistently that we hadn't seen before. Like we've seen it a little bit with like Gene Kelly and um, Mickey Mouse and things like that. But Mary Poppins was the last movie. Mary Poppins, but not for a whole film like that where he's just involved. Mm -hmm. Oh man. And he just died not terribly long ago. Bob, Bob Hoskins, Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was, yeah. He, he's another great actor who I, who I really like a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Man, so many good movies. Oh, hold on. We have a, oh, Tisha says hi. Love you. Oh, hi Tisha. Um, well, I'm going to end today on this note that we will have more because we have so many other movies to kind of just nerd out about yeah uh if you guys have any suggestions for movies for us to talk about we have definitely seen them so let me know and if not it's always fun to see new ones um but i think that in the next one we might dive into the 90s and some tim burton and some tarantino oh there's so much stuff there to work with so much stuff we'll do the double t's um And then coming up, we're going to talk about TV a bit in another episode with Black Mirror and um, Boardwalk Empire and Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. I I, I call that the era of this series. And that was like, I think Sopranos kicked that off where it became like this, like, you have to watch this on the night it airs. I like, can't tell you how many times we stayed up way too late watching Boardwalk Empire and Yeah, Game of Thrones traumatized nightly. Yeah, no. Yeah. Black Mirror traumatized from the first episode. We'll we'll have to do a whole podcast on just cinema that has traumatized us. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. It's a real thing, Pet Cemetery. I'm looking at you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about horror films. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Thank you so much for um, joining me today, and I look forward to having you. And I might have somebody else come in the mix uh, on one of these as well to join us for our uh, nerding out sessions. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. I had a great time as always. Okay, we'll see you guys next time on Behind the Biz. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on Behind the Bits, conversations with artists and entertainment. You can also check out this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. See you next time.